If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're in a series that we named quite a, a while ago now, a couple of months back, Finally Free. That in Galatians 5, Paul says, For freedom you have been set free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And Paul was saying that the power of God through the work of Christ, and now by giving you his spirit, is that you would be free from the bondage of sin, from the curse of the law, to live a life in light of the reality of who you are, whose you are, and live that life with great gusto and incredible boldness in this world. Most of us struggle with being timid. We're timid. We wonder how people will respond to us. We wonder whether they'll like us. We walk into a room and we try to assess it. We're, we're nervous uh, about... I have a friend who uh, goes to the beach with his kids, but he doesn't let them get in past their ankles because he's afraid something bad will happen to him. A life of timidity. I had another folks that we knew in seminary who came and said, you know, it's great that you and Lisa are having kids. We aren't going to have children. We're afraid that, we, uh, that they may not come to faith. We are afraid that something may happen to them, so we're not going to have children. We make decisions constantly in our lives based on fear and timidity. And it's the same way with the Christian. We do that. A little example the other day. We were going to the airport. Never been to the airport since I've been here. And we were going to pick up my brother-in-law who flew in. And so I needed to go to general aviation. Now, I've dropped off some stuff at the uh, garbage dump a couple of times. And I knew where general aviation was. Lisa and I got in the car. We're heading there. We're already a couple of minutes late. And she said, no, you're supposed to turn on this road. Now, I knew that probably wasn't right. But I wasn't confident enough to go and contradict my wife. Because just in case she was right and I was wrong, I didn't want to get in trouble. So we lovingly pulled into the regular airport, at which time I said, it's over there, sweetheart, where I knew it was all along. Then I all of a sudden got confident. I say that I didn't really. Uh, I said, I do think it's over there. And we got there eventually. But why I say that is I was afraid. I wasn't confident in the knowledge that I had. And this was a silly knowledge of where the goofy little airport is, of whether we should turn here or turn there. And it's just with my wife, who is my best friend. If you aren't confident in who you are in Christ, if you aren't confident uh, that this Bible actually is the Word of God... If you aren't confident that God is who he says that he is, that Christ is who he says that he is, that the Spirit is who he says that he is, if you're not confident of those things, you're going to live a timid life. You're going to live a life of, well, I sort of believe this, but I wouldn't want to impose on your beliefs. I I believe this, but I am okay with just holding it as my personal belief system. I wouldn't want to impose on yours. Instead of with confidence, yet always tempered with love, and graciousness and mercy presenting the truth that freedom from sin and death is only found in Christ Jesus, nowhere else. If you confidently believe that, and if you confidently believe that what you did today, all of your sins are forgiven, and there's nothing that can happen to you that will separate you from the love of God. You read in Romans when he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Can death or sin or anything else from principalities or powers? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you believe that, will it affect the way you live your life? Anybody mess up this week? When you messed up, and maybe it was a profound mess up this week, Did the question come in your mind, 
Is this the one where God says, enough with you? Was it the one where you said, I've wrestled with this, I've struggled with this, or I know I shouldn't have done this. Maybe God's finally going to say, dang, McCutcheon, again, really? Confidence with humility takes you right back to that father and say, dad, I I messed up again. And I'm probably going to mess up another time but I claim only Christ and my hope is only in him. And so I'm going to get off my knees and I'm going to stand and I'm going to live this life that you've given me to live to the best that I can through the power of your spirit in a world that needs to know him, that needs to know him. Paul is trying to encourage us in that way. He's trying to encourage you in that way. I hope this church and those in this church live boldly. Martin Luther said this, if you believe the gospel properly, go and Sin boldly. Yeah, there's a, hmm, what? What he meant, without getting too lost, is basically this. Don't go run out and do stupid things that you know are wrong. But live boldly knowing that in the midst of your life and in the boldness of your life, you're going to mess up. But still live well. Love your children well. Love your wife well. Run your business well. Do whatever it is. Do it boldly. Live it out loud in that way, knowing that when you do mess up, and you will, There's a savior who says, I paid for that one and that one and that one and all of those together. Paul's trying to teach us and encourage us along in this. And we are going to stay in Galatians a little while longer and we're going to move through it and we're going to finish chapter three today. We've been in chapter three a long time because chapter three is packed with all kinds of deep and profound things. And the question that we're going to ask today about this knowledge of who we are in Christ, what's happened to us, how did this freedom come about? What are we free from? What are we free to go towards? Part of it is this question of law. What does the moral law, what does the biblical law, what are the Ten Commandments, what is God's law, which Paul has talked about here regularly, what is it for? How does it affect us now? We said that it was designed for the Christian uh, to, it, it has three uses, and I won't go down all three of those, but one of them is a general civil use within society. It's good within all societies, isn't it, to say thou shalt not murder. That's probably a good thing, isn't it? It's good in society even pagan societies, to say thou shalt not lie or steal. There's a general civil way that the law works within society. There's another work of of the law that is one we're going to talk about a little bit today, and it's that law that pushes us and shows us our desperate need of Christ. It exposes our hearts. It exposes our sinfulness. Even it it says here that, that that law creates even more transgressions. Why? To show us our desperate need of Christ. And then for Christians, it says that the law then becomes our way of conduct. How do we love God? Well, we love him exclusively. We don't take his name lightly or in vain. We don't have any idols before him. We give him one day out of seven where we come and we worship him. We love God by honoring our parents. We love God by tithing. We love God by doing this, not in order to gain his favor, remember, But because of the favor that we've already gained in Christ, we then live according to these laws in that way. So Paul was saying, why the law? Do you understand it? Now you can acknowledge that there are red lights out on the parkway. But if you don't know what that red light, its purpose is, you'll run right through it and you're going to endanger yourself and endanger everybody around you. 
We just moved into a home that has one of those uh, stoves where you turn it on and it's the flat stove top and it gets radiant red and then you turn it off, but it's still not cool. And there's a little red light on the outside that says it's just on. And I didn't know what that light was for the first time. And so it was no color on top, just a little light. And I put my hand down. It was still really hot. I acknowledged the light, but I didn't know the purpose of the light. It's the same way with the law. You can acknowledge the existence of the law, but unless you know its purpose, it really doesn't have a value for you. And so that's what Paul's teaching us today. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3. I think we have printed beginning in verse 21. I'm going to start in verse 19 and then go uh, and pick up then in 21. So why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been given. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith could be, would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. So, the law. Kind of an ominous tone, isn't it? The law. You're going to walk away from here really encouraged. You're already feeling it, right? That you're like, great, this is going to be one of those sermons that I knew was going to finally come. This guy was nice and all for a while, but now he's going to get to all this mean stuff. Now, what I want, again, is to teach you who you are, what is at your disposal, What is it in your belief system that you hold and its value within that belief system for you? Because the more you know about what you believe and why you believe it, the more positively and freely you can then live your life in line with the design of God. And so Paul says here, the law, why the law? Why did God give us the law? Uh, What's its significance for me today? Well, a couple of things first as introduction. Uh, The law was given in a manner that was misunderstood. We've used it before. John Piper gave an illustration that the law was given in order to direct the lives of Israel so that they would be able to love God. It was never designed to save them, but to point them to God, their Savior, and to orchestrate and ordain their lives. It was like railroad tracks. Piper said, but what happened was people took those railroad tracks and they laid them up against a wall and turned them into a ladder. And they tried to make the law the means by which they would enter into heaven. It was by their righteousness gained by the law, by their uh, their obedience to the law, that they would get into heaven. Think about Jesus when he talked to the rich young ruler. He said to the rich young ruler, come and follow me. He said, okay, well, and they talked for a minute. He said, have you obeyed the law? He said, I've done it since my youth. 
He basically said, I've done it. I'm righteous. I, I've, I've conquered it. I'm there. You see, a young Israelite would have thought, by obedience, Paul would have thought that same thing. So, what we're going to look at today is really why the law was given. And the law was given for a couple of different reasons, at least here in this passage. And, and we see it in verses 19 through 22. Uh, the first, it says there in verse 19, that it was added because of transgressions. That it was added because of transgressions. And then in verse 22, it says that the scripture, that it was there... It, that was promised to faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Uh, it basically said this, the law was given to add to the transgression, to, to basically to expose something within you. That's why the law was added. It was to expose your heart. Now, I, I appreciate doctors, and I appreciate the fact that they've gone to medical school, but I have a deep-held disbelief in their opinions. Now, I wouldn't tell you that, but if you come and look in my medicine cabinet at different medicines that I've been prescribed, you'll find that when a doctor says to me, Bill, you have this infection and you need to take this medicine twice a day for seven days, finish the medicine. Hmm. What does the fact that there are four days of pills left in the bottle show about me and my relation to the doctor? I would never have expressed it but what it showed was a deep, profound unbelief in his opinion or her opinion. It exposed something about me. And it's the same way with uh, the, the law here, that it exposes something about us. It reveals sin uh, within us because we basically say, I believe in God. But then when he says, live this way, and you decide not to, what does it expose about you? It really exposes your unbelief in certain qualities and characteristics of God. So this law that he is talking about here was given to expose our hearts. Paul says, I didn't understand what covetousness was until the law came. Christ said basically this when he explained it on the Sermon on the Mount. You say that you haven't murdered. I would imagine that the Hopefully, the vast majority of you haven't committed first or second degree murder here. And you go, okay, I've obeyed that commandment. Christ said, oh no, have you ever hated your brother? Have you had anger in your heart? You go, oh, it exposes us. It brings those things out in us. It, 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 it brings them to the surface. Why do you think it's important to bring those things out? Why is it important for you to go to a doctor and for him to ask you what symptoms you're having and what's going on in your world? What's he trying to do? Just be a nosy person? A busybody? Wanting to get all that? No, he's wanting to know so that he can diagnose what's going on and give you the proper treatment to care for you and to cure your heart, to cure your cancer, to cure your illness or ailment. And so it is with the law. It exposes us. It brings these things out within us. Things that we didn't even know were there. Paul said, I didn't even know I was covetous until he said, don't covet. I wouldn't have thought that I was a murderer until it says, don't murder. And murder means don't harbor anger in your heart towards another person. How about this? If you tell a lie, what are you? This is simple. This is real easy. Uh, 
You're a liar, right? But we call them white lies and exaggerations and half-truths and partial truths. And when we go to confess those things, how often do we confess, God, forgive me for I'm a liar? Probably not. Does it expose something about you? What it exposes about you is, wow, just by that one commandment, now it exposes my heart that I have an incredibly deceitful and prideful heart. Why wouldn't you admit to me that you're a liar? You want me to think less of you. Your pride gets in your way. Your fear gets in your way. It's all this, it begins to just expose something on top of another and brings all of these things out. Now, why would you want to do that? Why in the world would you want to do that? Well, only if it then begins to lead to something else. And I, I'm, I'm sort of fast-tracking this, uh, and I'm just giving you some highlights. There's so much more to this kind of sermon and to this teaching. But it exposes these things, in essence, to basically force you to say, I can't heal myself. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I can't do it. I keep messing up. Paul was saying, this sin that I don't want to commit, I keep on doing. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. Oh my goodness, what's going on within me? His heart was just being exposed within him constantly. And that's where Paul goes now with this. He says, this sin that's being exposed by the law in your life. It's important to have laws. Because they begin to expose us. But if I left you there to just say you're a mess, how would you feel today? Folks, we're going to do the benediction. Go on home. You're an absolute mess and you can't save yourselves. But try real hard this week not to sin anymore. Because God doesn't like sin and you want God to like you. So don't sin anymore so that he might like you a little bit more. Isn't that what we do so often? Paul doesn't leave us there. Paul comes in and he says, this this law exposes our hearts. It exposes this unrighteousness within us. It it exposes us and just lays us bare. And then it says, though, but this law is a guardian or a custodian there uh, in picking up in um, in verse 24 and 25, where it says the law is a patagagos. It's a custodian or a guardian that takes us somewhere. You see, in the Jewish family, there would have been a guardian who would have been in charge of the children, like a nanny or someone like that. And they would teach the children. They would, they would work with the children and guard the children. But they would take the children somewhere. It's the same way with the law. The law takes us somewhere. It exposes us to all of this stuff that we can't fix and then takes us to one who can fix it. The law drives you to your need of Christ. That's the beauty of the law. In my failings, instead of saying, oh, what a mess that I am, that, oh, what a mess that I am, should be followed with, but, oh, what a Savior he is. For you see, Christ, it says, is the end of the law. Christ perfectly obeyed every single thing that you and me, we couldn't obey. Because you remember that little story with the rich young ruler. That rich young ruler said, I've done everything. I've obeyed. And what did Christ say to him? Great, I'm glad to have you on my team. He said, go and sell all your stuff and then come back. It says that he went away forlorn. He went away going, what was exposed about him? Hmm, probably that he had made another God besides God. That he was serving an idol 
other than God. His wealth, his 401k, his portfolio, uh, all of the stuff that he had, his looks, all of these things, that was his God. And he was exposed. Christ's next words would have been an invitation. Once you get rid of that, guess what you get? You get me and I'm all you ever need. For I've perfectly obeyed the law. I've taken the curse of the law away from you and that's what you gain from me. You see, the law drives us to not despair, but to Christ. Your failings, why we have this season of confession in church, just as a show of hands, how many of you come from church backgrounds that normally have confessing of sins in your churches? Not a lot of you. Why do you think it is that a lot of churches don't do that? They don't want you to feel badly about yourselves. Gosh, Bill, what a Debbie Downer. I mean, goodness, we're just up here. Jesus is awesome and glory and joy and all this stuff. And now you're going to make me consider my heart. Why would you want me to consider my heart? Why would you want me to consider these bad things that I've done? Why would I want to do that? Well, it's only in the going there that all of a sudden Christ becomes beautiful. It's only in the going, I can't, I have so messed up and I will continue to mess up. But Christ has perfectly obeyed on my behalf and the righteousness which I could never gain on my own, he has perfectly gained. And what Paul says in this passage is that now because you are united to Christ, because through faith, when faith came, when by faith you were united to Christ, guess what? The penalty of the law, which was death and sin, the penalty of the law, which was overbearing and burdensome to you, has been taken away from you, and now you gain the beauty and the perfection of Christ himself. Do you realize that? That now the law isn't burdensome to you. If it is, it does expose something, though. Maybe it exposes you're still trying to earn your way. Maybe it is that you're believing something you shouldn't believe about God or not believing something you should about God, questioning his goodness. Why won't God, why won't God let me do that? He's just a God of all these no's. I can't have sex outside of marriage. I can't get drunk. I can't do that. I can't speed. I can't do this. Gosh, it's just a bunch of no's, isn't it, in that whole Christian thing? Why would I want to go to a church that's just a bunch of no's? What you've lost in there is all of that is to say, I'm trying to take out the things that destroy and let you live in the beauty of how you were designed to live, united in Christ in that way. You're flying on an airplane. And the I may have shared this with you, and if I did, I apologize for redundancy. But you're flying on an airplane, and the stewardess comes to you, and she whispers in your ear, hold on to this parachute. Okay? And you're still flying and everything seems to be fine. And everyone around you is looking and going, why are you holding on to the parachute? You look stupid holding on to that parachute. What a goofy individual holding on to a parachute. Why are you holding on to the parachute? Guess what you're probably going to do after a while? You're going to set the parachute down. But if the stewardess had come to you and she leaned over and she said, hold on to this parachute. It's the only one we have. And we're out of gas. <laughs> and we're going down. Now people start making fun of you. What an idiot holding on to a parachute. Are you going to set the parachute down? Any of you going to set the parachute down? No way. You're going to double clutch it. You're going to make sure every strap and everything is on there. It's the same way with this idea of the law. The law comes in and it's saying to you, be careful. Trying to save yourself, 
trying to do this by your own righteousness will lead to my wrath. It will lead to destruction. It will lead to hell. It will lead to separation. Be careful. Go to Christ. He's your parachute. Hold Christ. That's what it's trying to say to you. It's pointing you to the one who can save you from a plane and a life and a humanity that's going down. Like that water. Great illustration, by the way, of how that water is tainted by sin. But then Christ comes in and perfects us and takes it away. The law points us to Christ. And if you recognize what it's saving you from, are you going to hold on to Christ more? More dearly? More freely? And tell other people about it? Well, why don't you do those things? Well, let me tell you why I don't do those things. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about these things. Of this is what the law is about. You've been freed from the law's demands. Now, guess what? You're not free to throw it away, folks. You're free to live it. You're free to live the most holy, pious life possible. But not driven from fear but out of incredible adoration to the Father and gratefulness to the Father and a knowledge of why that's there in your life. I hope that we'll be a church that doesn't throw law around loosely. We don't throw grace around loosely either, but we live lives a profound understanding of what does it mean that grace has come to us and how do we then live in light of that? Let's pray. God, these are tough things. There are entire courses and seminaries and books written about the law and the use of the law. And Paul writes it in just one part of a letter. How can we understand it except that your spirit would come and teach us now? Father, for some of us, the law is exposing our pride that we think we can earn our way to heaven. Would you break us of that? And would you humble us to rely on Christ? For others of us, we take it so flippantly that we disregard it altogether and we show our pride that we don't think we need you in that regard either. Would we, like that younger brother, be fully exposed in pigsties and losing of things that would then lead us back to a father who's seeking us? God, there are many here today who need to know that you're looking for them. Father, they have messed up in their lives. They have broken your law. They, they res- what we've talked about just resonates with their hearts. They know they're messing up. Father, would you come by the power of your spirit and convict their hearts, lead them back to the cross, take away the pleasure of sin, take away those things and lead them to Christ. And in that, would they find their savior, find their hope, and find a life to live free of all those other things. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you're a God who fulfilled the law's demands so that we could gain the privileges of Christ's completed work. Praise you in his name. Amen. Let's stay.